What do you dream about when you have a hard day or or when you get to the office and you realize you've got a day chocked full of meetings? What do you dream about? What do you dream about when you pick up your kids from school or daycare and you get home and all they do is fight in the car ride home and you finally get home and you realize that you've got life group that night and you're tired? What do you dream about? What sparks inside of you? You know, it's probably hard to put in a simple answer what we dream about, but I I wonder if you're like me, is what you dream about some form of rest and adventure? At least that's what the ad makers think you dream about. During the Super Bowl, how, how many of you guys just love the Super Bowl ads? This year, most of you probably just watched the Super Bowl for the ads, right? Not not a fan of the teams that were in the Super Bowl, but there are these ads and ad makers, they are trying to decide what it is that we want and, and sell those things to us. Did any of you see the ad of the, the family dressed like Vikings in the new Hyundai Santa Fe, right? And, you know, as they drive from campsite to campsite and they're just living that picture of, of adventure in, in the mountains. I was like, yes, I'm gonna grow my beard out to be like that guy. <laughs> or there was the commercial with Tina Fey where she was on booking.com trying to go from hotel to hotel. And we, we love those because we think, oh man, I want to go there. I want to sit there with a drink with an umbrella in my hand and relax around the pool. This idea of rest, I want that. Or my favorite, Mr. T in a new pair of Skechers and an old van driving the country, right? Who doesn't want a road trip, rest and adventure together? I don't know about you, but for me, it it seems that those things spark inside of me. When I see an ad for a tiki hut in in Bali, man, I need to be there. A a chalet in the mountains, a jet ski on the open waves. Something sparks inside of us when we think of rest and we think of adventure. And I wonder why. See, could it be that we were created for rest and adventure? for adventure, but we just don't know how to capture the spark. How many of you this week at some point during the week dreamed about the weekend? You were like, man, I, I, it's like that old song, everybody's working for the weekend, right? It's like, I just cannot wait to get to Saturday because Saturday I'm going to go ski or I'm going to get out in the mountains or this weekend I'm not going to do anything, right? I'm going to go buy some milk duds and I'm going to watch every Mission Impossible movie back to back, right? Like that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rest and it's going to be amazing. But then what happens when the weekend gets here? Well, you realize that, man, I got to clean the house. I got to open the mail. I got these emails to check. The dog tore up 15 dog chews in the backyard and I got fluff everywhere under the trampoline. That was a real story. I had to do that this weekend. Like we, we fill up our schedules with all these things. And then we look back and it's Monday morning and we go, man, I am so tired. I didn't get any rest at all. And you don't need me to remind you how tired we are. But in case you forgot, I will. You know, back in 2022, they had a study. They said that three out of five people are exhausted mentally and emotionally. 42% of people say they just don't get enough sleep to be able to operate well the next day. So what are we doing so wrong? Why do all we do is dream about rest and adventure, but yet we're tired and we never really feel like we're living the life we were meant to live? Could it be that we've tried to manufacture rest? 
We've tried to manufacture adventure when we're missing something beautiful that God has given us. In the book of Exodus chapter 20, we see God um, giving Moses what they call, what he called the Ten Commandments. He gave Moses really these, these, these guidelines for life to help you flourish in your relationship with God and to flourish in your relationship with other people in this new community of faith. And in this commandments, I want you to read one that just very, is very different than the rest. Verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 8. Notice what it says. God tells Moses and tells people, remember the Sabbath day. Somebody say Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So we see that when God gives this prescription uh, for people to live in relationship with each other in the Ten Commandments and in their relationship with God, and he said things like, well, honor your mom and your dad and don't steal and don't lie and don't covet what your neighbor has and don't put any other gods before me. Right in the middle of this, he says, and also take a day off a week to rest and to adventure. And it's this beautiful hard wiring that we have inside of us that, that says that we need to set this day apart if we want to flourish. And so here, here's what I want to talk about today as we think about this series we've been called Practicing the Way. As we think about all of these things over the last eight weeks that Jesus models for us to help us flourish in life. We're going to end with this topic on the Sabbath today. And here's what I want you to take away. That the Sabbath is the rhythm God uses to fill our lives with rest and adventure. We can dream about rest. We can dream about adventure. We can plan great vacations. But if we don't have a rhythm of Sabbath in our life, we're never going to actually feel rested and feel fulfilled. So this is where we're going to land at today. And I want to start with a quote from Tim Mackey. The, the creator of the Bible project. Notice what Tim Mackey says. Talking about the Sabbath. He says that when followers of Jesus observe the Sabbath, we take a break from the broken rhythms of hustle and hardship to set aside a time to honor Jesus, his rule, enjoy his presence, and extend rest to the world around us. When we trust God's invitation to come to him and truly rest, we can become places where his presence can dwell. And so as we wrap up this series, I want to dig into this idea of, of Sabbath today. I think a lot of us, if we grew up in church or we went to Sunday school or, or, or Bible school somewhere, we have this idea of Sabbath. We have these pictures in our mind uh, of what Sabbath is. But I want to spend today actually pulling apart, saying what does it look like for us to practice this thing and how does this look in our lives? John Mark Comer is probably the foremost voice on rest and Sabbath in our culture today. There's some other guys that are doing great work. And he started a ministry called Practicing the Way. And we have, as we talk through this series, are, are been looking at um, this idea of some of the different guides and practices that he puts out. And you can go on his website, practicingtheway.org, and you can download a guide on the Sabbath, which is really, really great. And in his guide, I'm going to walk us through what he says because I've found it to be really helpful. He says there's really four elements to learning how to develop a rhythm of the Sabbath. And here's the four, if you're taking notes. It's that we have to learn. If we're going to learn to practice this rhythm of Sabbath, of rest and adventure in our life, we have to learn to stop, 
We have to learn to rest. We have to learn to delight. We have to learn to worship. When I was in Israel last year, the, the, the Jewish culture still participates in what they call the Shabbat. Somebody say Shabbat. It's kind of fun to say Shabbat. And, you know, and, and when you're in the Middle East, if you meet somebody and you, you always, you don't say hey or yo or what's up, playa. You say shalom, shalom. On, on Sabbath, you say Shabbat shalom, Shabbat shalom. Try it one more time. You guys are getting better. Shabbat shalom. That means peace on the Sabbath. And so the idea of Sabbath is just a day that it stops. And if you're in Israel on the Sabbath, there's a bank of elevators and there's always the Sabbath elevator because the Jews feel like you can't work, that, that pushing a button on an elevator is work. So you have to ride on the Sabbath elevator, which just moves from floor to floor, right? So if you're on floor 13, watch out, right? Because you were waiting 13 floors to get to the top and 13 floors to get to the bottom. But Shabbat, in, in essence, the word means to stop. Somebody say stop. It means to, to stop. And in Jewish culture, this is still very popular today. The challenge is that you see is that in all things, God creates good things. And then we as mankind have a way of taking good things and kind of making spaghetti out of them, right? We really take good things and we mess them up. And this is what Jewish culture did at the time of Jesus. And Jesus did a great job of really teaching us what Sabbath was all about. Notice this, Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter two, verse 23. So one day Jesus is walking through the grain fields with his disciples and it's a Sabbath day and they're hungry. And so they stop and they kind of pluck some heads of grain and they start to eat it. And so some of the religious leaders saw this, some of the Pharisees saw this and said, hold on, what are you doing, Jesus? You are breaking the laws of the Sabbath because you're working. And Jesus is like, man, we're just eating. We just grabbed some grapes off the grapevine as we walked by the grain fields. And I love what Jesus says. Notice this, and the Pharisees are saying, look, you're doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath. In verse 27, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then he says, the son of man, Jesus is saying this about himself as the Lord, even of the Sabbath. You may have grown up in a culture where you had this idea of like a rest day or a Sabbath day, and you couldn't watch TV, or you couldn't go outside, and or is that... That's Little House on the Prairie. Hold on a second. I was imagining Little House on the Prairie, right? But, you know, there's this idea like, hey, we're sitting in our chair all day long and we're reading our Bible or we're just sitting quietly enjoying the company of my great-grandpa as he told old war stories. And as a kid, if that was you, you're like, this is not a very exciting day. Sabbath is pretty dull and pretty boring. Jews had made Sabbath this thing, which we've, if you've been here with us for a year, few years, we've talked about this a couple times. The Jews have made the Sabbath this thing that says, here's how much you can walk. Here's the distance you can walk. If you ever read in the Bible, it says they were a Sabbath day journey. Well, that, that means like Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives was a Sabbath day journey. That just means that that was the limit of, of mileage you could walk in a Sabbath day. In a Sabbath day, you could only cook so much. So you had to prep your meals ahead of time. And in a Sabbath day, you actually couldn't, if a chair fell over, you couldn't pick it up because that was, couldn't push the button on the elevator. Like imagine how Jesus' disciples, they had to wait a lot of elevators, right? So like they, they built these barbed wire fences around the Sabbath. And so then Jesus came and he just said, I'm gonna change your view. And so he healed people on the Sabbath. 
He cast out demons on the Sabbath. He did things like eat, you know, pick heads of grain on the Sabbath. And then he told the religious gatekeepers who tried to put this barbed wire around the rules that the Sabbath was made for you, not you for the Sabbath. God gives you the Sabbath for a reason, and that is to rest, to give you rest and to give you adventure. So the first part of this I wanna, I wanna outline here is this idea of stop. Somebody say stop. See, for Sabbath to be Sabbath, you actually have to literally Shabbat, stop and cease. That's what the concept is. And I love the picture we get in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two. If you have your Bibles, grab those. Look, just the, it's really easy to find. It's like the first page of the Bible. So grab it, open up your Bibles, first page of the Bible. We, we see this beautiful picture of how, how God creates. God creates light and then he gives it purpose and he gives it time. God creates the ground and he gives it purpose by giving it animals. He created water and he gave it purpose by giving it fish. He creates the sky and he gives it purpose by creating birds. And then he creates us. And he gives us purpose by saying that we are now to rule this world and to garden and cultivate this beautiful planet that he gives us. And then notice what happens at the very beginning of Genesis chapter two. After six days of work, God literally stops. He shabbats. Genesis 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, remember seven in the Bible means complete. It means full. It means whole. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Why did God stop? Did God need to stop? He's God. Keep going. So why did God stop? He was done. He was done creating. So he stopped. If you're anything like me, I have a habit of like, I'll, I'll do something and then it's never completely done. Anybody know that? Like you clean the house, but then you re-sweep, right? Like you refold the rags again. Like you're just like finding something to do. I write a sermon and then I can for like the next four days just like, highlight things or change punctuation, right? Like anybody, anybody do this kind of stuff? Like you wash your car, it rains a little bit. So what do you do? You wash it again, right? Like you're never, especially if you have one of those memberships, like you're, you gotta get your money's worth. You guys know what I'm saying? So you never officially stop. But when something is done, God shows us that he stops. Could God have kept working? Well, sure. Could God have made the cobra lily less creepy looking? Yeah, could God have made the blobfish a little prettier? Yes. God makes everything good, but sometimes it's ugly, <laughs> right? God didn't need to stop, but God stops. Why does God stop? Because he wants to give you and me a rhythm and a pattern for our life. He wants to show us that we can work for six days, and then on the seventh day, we should stop and we should rest because that is where we refuel. I want you to ask yourself this question. When was the last time you actually stopped? Now, some of you might be really, really good at this Sabbath thing, but I, I want you guys to think, when was the last time you spent a whole day where you didn't do the dishes, you didn't check email, you didn't do anything related to work, you didn't go to the mailbox, right? You didn't pick up the dog droppings, right? Well, you, I think there's some things you gotta do, 
right? There's just some things you got to do. But when's the last time you actually stopped? You might say, Drew, I can't stop because things aren't going to get done. And God would go, exactly. Because it's going to force you to trust me to get it done. I mean, imagine Israel, especially when they're moving, when, they, when Exodus is given to them, when Exodus 20 is written, they're living in a camp that's moving day by day and they've got cattle. And they're just supposed to take a day off by making sure that pe- the wolves aren't stealing the sheep and the cattle aren't running through the fences. Yep. Because God wants you to learn to trust him with that time because that is a way that we grow. The American Psychology Association found that time off work is linked to lower rates of heart disease, reduced stress, depression, and anxiety, improved productivity, and overall higher satisfaction of life. So why can't we stop? I think it's because our minds will not stop working. We can always think of something else to do. So God is telling us that we need to learn to stop. And this means that we actually have to be intentional because I don't know about you guys, but the only time that the world hits you and makes you stop is usually global pandemics and health issues. And we don't want either of those. Amen. (laughs) We've had those. We don't want those again. And so we have to be intentional to actually learn to hit stop. And so what does that mean for you? For, for, for you guys, it could look a lot of different ways. For, for a lot of people, Sunday is their day. They go to church, they worship Jesus, we open God's word together, we see our friends, we hugs and hand pounds, and we go home and we have a great meal and we relax and we maybe go do something fun. For other people, they might say, hey, I'm doing Friday night to Saturday morning. That's the traditional Jewish culture was sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. Some of you may say, I do not have time to even do that. Do you have four to six hours you could carve out? I think you do. You just have to make, if you say, I don't have time, the real reason is you haven't made time. So we have to be intentional to find a way to stop. And then here's the interesting thing. When we do stop, crazy things are gonna happen. It's just the way it works. Something's gonna break. Somebody's gonna call. There's gonna be some crisis. But as we learn to build the rhythm of stopping, we get better at it. Now you might say, well, what am I supposed to do when I stop? Just sit and twiddle my thumbs? I'm glad you asked. The next thing we're supposed to do is rest. Somebody say rest. Look back at Genesis chapter two. Notice this again. So God, he creates this beautiful world around us. And then it says he rested. Did God need to rest? Rhetorical question. Did God need to rest? Why doesn't God need to rest? Because he's God. He's all powerful. He's all caffeinated, right? Like, like God doesn't need an extra shot of espresso. Like God is good. He doesn't need to rest. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. We see that in Psalm 20 or 121. So why would God need to rest? He doesn't, but he wants to show us that we do. One of my favorite quotes is by a guy named H.H. Farmer. And he says this, that if you go against the grain of the universe, you'll get splinters. And when we go against the grain of the way that God made things to work, which is to work six days and to take one day where we stop, then what's going to happen? We're going to get splinters. And I think the splinters we experience in our life are the exhaustion and the loneliness and the alienation and the confusion and the sleeplessness and the fill in the blank. That's the splinters that we get in life when we go against the grain of the way that God created us to live. There's a really cool Hebrew word for the word rest. It is the word nuach. 
want you guys to say that one too. Nuach. It's a K. Was that? It's close. Karen said it was close. Nuach. Get a little in there. And it means to dwell or to settle. But when you're going to nuach, you're not going to just clock out of work. Like, I want you to imagine nuaching. Can I say that? You can make anything into a verb, right? Nuaching is like chilling around the fire with your homies or with your spouse, with your kids, right? It's sitting at grandma's house with a glass of lemonade. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? When I go to my grandma's house, I immediately just fall asleep. I don't know what it is, right? I sit down, I put my feet up on her little oval table, and I'm just like, right? And I'm like sweating and all kinds of stuff. She's like, you need to get up. It's like 11 o'clock. You're like, oh my gosh, where'd the time go? That's what it means to nuoc, to, to rest, to dwell, and to settle. And so God gives us this rhythm in our, in our lives, and he says that we need to learn to rest and we're really bad at it because we always think when we're trying to rest, man, I got I to gotta email that coworker back. I got to text back that friend. I, oh, man, I, gotta, I forgot. I got to schedule my oil change or rotate my tires or whatever lame thing that we have to do because our brains are continually spinning. This is why, again, we have to be intentional to rest, to, to nuance, to rest. So here, here's just some ideas that, that we have to have that we see is that when we decide we want to rest, we have to prepare for it. Meaning if you're going to, if you're going to Sabbath, you need to go and buy the food ahead of time that you want to cook that day. That you need to get all your mail open before your Sabbath day. That you need to check your email the night before. It's actually been recommended. One of the things that practicing the way recommends is, is early on as you Sabbath, take a digital Sabbath, which this is going to freak some of you guys out, but it means you put your phone away for 24 hours, right? Like, how are we going to do that? Like, that's crazy. I mean, I don't get to check Insta for 24 hours, really? But we need that so our minds stop spinning and our minds stop thinking about all the things we haven't been able to do. And instead, you know what we do instead? We find something that makes us rest, like read fiction, Go on a walk, play a game, do a puzzle, play with your kids, watch a movie, take a nap, whatever it is. What brings you rest? The Journal of Personality and Social Psychology did a study on the benefits of downtime, and they found that the perfect amount of downtime is about four hours, actually. So it's actually not the little house on the prairie model where you sit in a rocking chair for eight hours straight. It's Find something that will give you rest for about four hours. And that could be reading, that could be napping, that could be walking the dog, but it's not a 12-hour day. It's a four, four hours of rest is the way that God has really wired us. So what do we do with the rest of our day? Next, third piece to this is delight. Somebody say delight. Isn't delight a beautiful word? Like, I don't know about you, but I like when I, when I think of delight, I think of something delicious, or something beautiful, or something that sounds amazing, or like the cool water of a pool on a hot day, right? Like delight, like the, the sound of like a, a can of, of soda opening, right? Like that's delight when, when, I, when I think of delight. And so we rest and we delight. Notice what Tim Keller says about this idea of delight. I love this. He says this, that because the world is so full of ugly things, we need the Sabbath to feed our soul with beauty, right? So what causes you to delight? You need to think about that. 
Where do you get the beauty that God has put around you? And the Sabbath is really where God wants us to learn to delight in him. I want you to see what David says in Psalm 16. This is cool. So David's writing. David's in a tough spot. David's writing about the fact that he knows God's never going to leave him. And so in Psalm 16, right in the middle, he says this, that you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures or delights forevermore. Like David sees that all the things that he enjoys in life come from God. So we're not seeking after these things to fill us up necessarily yet to be the satisfactory thing for our soul. Jesus is that thing. But instead, we see the things that we delight in as God's gifts to us. That, that we can have pleasure forevermore. And in the midst of this crazy world, God wants you to delight in him. So what, what do you delight in? See, this is, I think, where adventure can come into the, the scenario because a lot of the things that we delight in are things that God has created for us to enjoy. Like some of you guys delight in mountain biking. You delight in skiing. You delight in hiking. You delight in walking the dog. You delight in eating a f- delicious feast. You delight in... Fill in the blank. What, what do you delight in? Because these are things you need to do on your day off. Your day off's not meant to be boring. A Sabbath day is not meant to be a drag. It's meant to be delightful. All right, I want you right now, we're gonna do a little fun exercise. Think about what you delight in and look to the person to your left or right, whoever's closest, and tell them what you delight in right now. Three, two, one. What do you delight in? Okay, that thing that you delight in, whether it was adventure, whether it was having dinner with a great friend, making a delicious meal, it was hiking a mountain, whatever it is, make a plan to go do that thing. Because the Sabbath day is where you find rest and you find adventure. Find four hours of that time to rest and read and nap and then go do something delightful for your soul. And here is the really beautiful part of this. I want you to notice how this rhythm rhythm works because if all you do is rest on your Sabbath day, then you're never gonna find adventure. If all you do is go hard all day in the mountains, you're never gonna find rest. You notice there's a balance of rest and adventure as we've stopped. We're resting in God. We're delighting in the things that he has given us. It leads us to the fourth element, which is the most important piece to this, and that is worship. Somebody say worship. So we stop, we rest, we delight, and then we worship. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, says this to a crowd of Jewish onlookers. He's speaking to a crowd of people that are boggled down by a religious system that says you have to have a Sabbath this day and you can't do this thing and you have to do it this way and you have to wash this in this order. And people are just like, there's 613 of these rules I have to keep all the time. I am exhausted. And Jesus says, if you are living that life, then I want you to know that that's not the life you were created to live. So instead he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The the, the teaching of a rabbi was called a yoke. So if you followed a rabbi in the days of Jesus, you you put on their yoke, and their yoke would tell you what you needed to do on the Sabbath or what you needed to do during the, the week. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The people who heard Jesus say this, they were living under the burden of all these rules to keep. And imagine just like how, how their heart, hearts would have sprung alive when they heard Jesus say, come and actually just come to me, follow me, and I'll be the one that gives you rest. That had to be so beautiful for them. See, Jesus wants to clarify the meaning of Sabbath. And he's saying this, the people are in need of rest. They need to Shabbat. Somebody say Shabbat. They need to be present with God and rest. Somebody say Nuach. You guys aren't as good at that one yet, but keep working. And the beautiful reality is that as we worship God, as we look to Jesus as the source of rest and adventure, as we praise him for what he's given us, we begin to worship Jesus. We begin to go to him and to see that he is all that we need. And that this idea of rest or adventure, it isn't God. Jesus is the one that brings all these things into our life through these rhythms that we put into place. And as we reorient our life around Jesus, we are brought back to center. So what, what, what does it look like for you to worship on a, a Sabbath day? Maybe it's just that you stop for a couple times and pray two or three times. You listen to, to, to praise music. You go out in the mountains on a hike and you read, read a psalm and you're just praising God for all that he has done. But I want you to notice how these beautiful things together, we, we stop and we rest and we delight and we worship. And as we bring these elements down, we don't get legalistic about it, but we just try to incorporate these things into our day off. As you do, you'll notice that you build a rhythm and your life begins to look more and more like the person Jesus created you to be. See, the big question though that we have to ask ourselves is that Jesus gives us these gorgeous rhythms in our life, but how are we gonna go about experiencing them. Because if you just wait and hope it happens to you, it's never going to happen. If you just wait for your schedule to get easier, it's never going to get easier. We have to learn to be intentional to put these rhythms into place. For eight weeks now, we've talked through these practices you guys are like, wow, it's been that long. Eight weeks, we've been talking through the practices of following Jesus and in, in, in the practice of, of prayer, of reading our Bibles, of serving the church, of being part of the church, of being part of uh, what we do at the church when we take communion like we're gonna do here in a few minutes as we, uh, as we baptize new believers. We've talked about sharing our faith as we bless other people. We talk about Sabbath today. The question is, how are we gonna put these things into action. Because the reality is, if we put them in the camp of try hard, of try hard like we do everything else, what are we gonna do? We're gonna give up, we're gonna quit. Years ago, I, you guys can probably look at me and tell that I'm a runner. And so years ago, I had some coworkers who were runners and they, you know, similar physique and uh, not at all. They look more like Mitch. And they said, hey, we're going to run this race in Kansas City called the Brew to Brew. And I'm like, sounds interesting. I love running. What, what are we going to do? And they said, well, it's a 40-mile race from, uh, from, from Kansas City to Lawrence, Kansas. And in this race, well, there's 10 different legs. 
And so you'll take, you know, two of the different legs. And I was like, great. It sounds amazing, right? But as one who never says no to uh, an opportunity to uh, be embarrassed, I said, absolutely, let's do this. And so we had about six months to get ready for the race. And I trained zero times. Um, I, I'm more of a heavyweight kind of guy, right, than, than I am a runner. But I had to plan. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll probably do a couple of runs, you know, to get ready for it. And I didn't do that at all. And so then it was race day. And I'm out there, I got my, I got my like Nike, you know, um, sweatband on. I looked sweet. Like I looked great. I bought some new kicks. I was ready to go. And then I got the first leg, right? So I'm going five miles to the first depot junction spot where the next runner takes over. And I said, I got this. I'm, I'm just going to try really hard. And so we start, the gun goes off. I start running. I'm trying to keep up with the guy in the front. I make it about a third of a mile and I got to walk, right? Because I haven't trained. Remember, I haven't ran in like six years at this point. And by the time I get to the first junction spot where we hand off, everybody else is gone. I'm 10 minutes behind the last runner and I'm walking to hand off to the next guy. It was not my greatest moment. I'll just be honest with you. And what I realized at that moment is that no matter how hard I try, you can only try hard for so long. What would happen if I actually were taking that six months and trained and went from a half mile to a mile to two miles to three miles to four miles to five miles? I would have probably, I probably would have won, right? Like my guess is I would have won the whole thing, right? <laughs> but I at least would have finished. And the same is true for us in our faith. We, we get in these spots where like, I'm gonna try really hard, God. This year, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try really hard to read my Bible. I'm gonna try really hard to pray more, God. And then we find ourselves in a spot where trying hard just doesn't do it. It just doesn't work. What we need to do is to stop trying and start training. Somebody say train. We need to start training. And that is what these practices that Jesus gives us are all about. It's the training of learning how to follow him, to do what he did so our lives look more like his. See, our our goal, guys, let me ask you this. The the end goal of why Jesus gives us these things isn't so we're better prayers, we're better Bible readers, that we're better servants of the church. Our end goal isn't so we become good at these things. Our end goal should be Jesus, to be near Jesus, to grow in our understanding and our knowledge of Jesus, to see that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that Jesus loved you so much that he stepped out of heaven to this, onto this earth to live a perfect sinless life that we couldn't live and go to the cross and gave his life for us so that he could invite us into this beautiful family of faith and slowly learn to live the life we were created to live. So it's not through trying hard. It's through training and being patient and seeing over time that the more we do these things, the more our life begins to look like the life that Jesus created us to live. And it's at this, there's a point in here where we realize that our end goal is just to be with him. So then my challenge to you as we, as we close is let's be intentional to put these rhythms in our life. And let's not try hard, but let's train hard. 
And when we mess up, it's okay. We just get back up again and the next day and try it again. But as we do, we're gonna see something beautiful happen and our life begins to look more like Jesus's. And it's at that point we know we're on the right path. Find a time in this next week, to carve out a couple hours or maybe even a whole day if you can and start the weekly rhythm of rest. You will be so glad you did because it will 100% change your life. I'm excited to be on this journey with you guys. Would you pray with me?